beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Our God, we're so grateful today that we serve a risen Savior as we just sang. We thank you today, Father, that Jesus Christ lives and so we can walk with Him and talk with Him. And and Father, it's such a blessing to serve a risen Savior. And yes, Lord, we walk by faith. And so that has become the stumbling block of why many do not believe or will not believe. I pray today, Father, as we focus on the glorious truth, the hallmark doctrine of Christianity, the resurrection, that today our hearts would rejoice. And Father, now that we are streaming, and uh, pray that many would be listening. Even skeptics, Father, we're, we're so grateful for those that, even out of curiosity, now have the opportunity to just hear what these Christians are talking about. And I pray that you would captivate them with your word and that the precious, blessed reality of Jesus coming forth from the grave would penetrate people's hearts today, that all of us would rejoice that He lives. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may please take your Bibles briefly to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 1. What a good group today. Hatless, but still, because you're glad you're here. You know, Easter is, is one, of the, it's, it's one of the greatest days to preach because of what happened on this day. And um, in Acts chapter 1, Luke is the author of Acts, and he is recording, as he says in verse 1, uh, all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he chosen, had chosen. Now, I want you to look at verse 3. He says, To whom also he, that's Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. And that's, of course, what we're going to look at today. 
But I want you to look at that phrase because that's kind of where we're going today. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. The, the two words in the English, infallible proofs, is one Greek word, tekmerios. And it literally uh, has the idea of convincing proofs. Um, the uh, criterion for certainty, in other words, he is giving, literally the idea is, irrefutable evidence. That's what, when he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs, he gave proof, irrefutable proof, that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, the word proof is an interesting term itself. And, um, and proof is the degree of evidence which convinces the mind of any truth or fact. Now, there's a statement, there's a saying that I've used many times. In fact, this was going to be the title of my message today. Uh, but instead, it's just irrefutable. It's the title of the message today, irrefutable. But there's a saying out there that when I first heard it, it was a very, one of those peculiar sayings, and I got what they were saying behind it, and it was kind of a clever way to express something, so I've used it many times, and, and you've heard it from this pulpit before. You remember this? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You've heard that. So, and not, it's generic when you know understand that especially when the bible uses the term man it's mankind don't be offended ladies but here's what it's saying that when someone is convinced against their will they still have the same opinion that they did before and so I, you know that, that kind of i struggle with that for a little bit the more i thought on that it's like wait a minute if you are convinced against your will so that you still have the same opinion then you really weren't convinced doesn't it seem that way? So I, I struggled with that for a while. And then I looked up the word convinced. You know me. Got to look up the words. And so I looked up the word convinced. And it has the idea of, of being... Let me see if I can find the information here. I know I have it down here. So the idea of convinced is the first few, the first two definitions are ones where somebody is, is um, the idea of their, their mind is changed. So that the proof is there, the evidence is there, and it's enough to persuade them to embrace something. And when we think of convinced, that's why I struggle with that. If someone's convinced against their will so that they haven't changed their mind, then are they really convinced? But then the third definition somewhere here on my notes is, is this, convicted. So the first two have, and in fact the same root word, convinced. Sometimes a person can be convinced. In other words, they are proven wrong and yet it doesn't change their mind. And that's the idea of that state, that saying. 
a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. In other words, they lost the argument. They lost the debate. And yet they still, even though they lost and, and every argument they presented was blown out of the water, they're still holding the same opinion. Which describes the resurrection beautifully. Because there's a lot of people who will look at the evidence and argue against it if they're so firmly convinced that religion is bunk and they will hear about this resurrection and they will reject it even when they had when the evidence is all there and that's the idea irrefutable evidence is what was presented so we're going to see three things this morning we're going to see see first those who were willing to believe of course, first we're going to talk about the disciples. And by the way, they, they were not inclined to believe. In fact, they were a little skeptical. They, this blindsided them. They really were not. Contrary to what some of their critics would say in the centuries after, it wasn't like they were expecting it. So we're going to see first them. Then number two, we're going to see those who are unwilling to believe. There's a whole group of people that though there was irrefutable evidence, many infallible proofs, and though every argument was blown out of the water, they still choose, chose not to believe. And by the way, there's a lot of people today who it's really not a matter of evidence if you'd be honest you know, it's really not a matter that there's not enough. You just don't want to believe. Face it. And then the last point is, so the first one is those willing to believe. Second, those unwilling to believe. And then the third point is the evidence they both had. Same evidence. So let's just jump right in. Um, and I want you to turn now to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And in fact, it says, the, the verse we read in Acts 1-3, He showed Himself alive by many infallible proofs, proofs, being seen. And then it lists all the people, categories of people that He showed Himself to. That was the, that was the proof. That was the evidence. Remember, what's the, what are we trying to refute here? What are people trying to refute? The fact that He rose from the dead. The, the glorious truth of the resurrection is what is the doctrine at stake. And Paul, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at that tonight if you're, we'd love to have you come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul puts all his proverbial Easter eggs in one basket by saying, if there is no resurrection, then this whole message, this whole everything about Christianity is a sham. We are of all men most miserable. So... Look at uh, John 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. So this is the, some of the evidence. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. Actually, are we... No, I'm reading. Anybody know I told you where to go? 20. 20. And what am I reading from? 
good. See, you're on top of it more than I am. How many of you are surprised? <laughs> no hands are going up. <laughs> All right, Acts, or John chapter 20. I'm starting to read it, and it does not look like what I was studying this week. And I'm like panicking in my mind. All right, chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. The napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Verse 8, Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, now look at the last statement, and he saw and believed. He saw and he believed. But so he had to be convinced. It's not like when the word first came back to him or any of the disciples, hey, guess what? The body's gone. And everyone's like, well, of course it's gone. Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. Of course, they were not expecting it. In fact, if you study it in depth, you'll see a lot of them, like Mary, Magdalene, they're like, okay, who took his body? They were so not expecting what he had said. Verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. In fact, if you look at verse 11, Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels in white, sitting the one at the, at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because Jesus rose from the dead, and I just I can't believe it. No, she didn't say that. She said, Because they have taken away my Lord. So now, what are they believing? Okay, they're believing that he's not there. But they're not still getting the full impact of what happened. Now, this is what's so amazing. Even his devoutest followers, the the apostles, the disciples, were blindsided by the resurrection. Whereas the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had so heard his message that they were one step ahead of the disciples. And they're all right, we've got to cover our tracks here. He's gone. In fact, you'd think they'd stop and say, huh. Wait a minute, if he's gone, he said he was going to rise. No, their, their whole thing was, his body's gone. We got, we got to cover this. It doesn't look good for us. Wow. See, they were presented with irrefutable evidence. Many infallible proofs. But it didn't lead them to believe, did it? No, not at all. And so today, folks, don't forget... There's going to be a lot of people who 
Because they don't want to believe, it doesn't matter what the evidence is. They're not going to be honest with themselves. They'll tell you, some of them will tell you, oh, I just want truth. I'm so, you know, I I am so sincerely wanting the truth. But in reality, folks, to believe Christianity and believe Jesus rose from the dead has some implications that someday they're going to be answerable to God. Now what's amazing is, these people, these disciples were so reluctant to believe that it took convincing. But when they were finally convinced, you couldn't shut them up. You could not shut them up. There was years ago in 2008, which to me was like a couple years ago, and then I realized, no, it was not a couple years ago. There was a debate by a, um, the, bi- uh, the head of Princeton University's bioethics department, who is an atheist. And he, he was going to debate Dinesh D'Souza on um, what, what somebody called the greatest theme in the world. Is there a God? Yes or no? And of course, this great bioethics uh, head was uh, Peter Singer. His answer was, no, there's no God. Dinesh D'Souza's response, yes, there is a God. Now, in writing, right after this debate came out, and it, was in, it was at Biola University, there was like 3,000 students there listening to this debate. I've not heard it. It's probably, I'd imagine it's on YouTube. But the, the man that was writing the article made this statement. And the, um, the, the title of the article was debating the, debating the Greatest Theme in the World. And he said this. He said, did either side win? He said, if I were grading the debaters, I would give them a draw. Their theme, the greatest theme in the world, was not resolved by a knockout blow. Now, lest lest you and I look at the Christian on that and say, how can you not win that debate? And then the, the writer of the article made this statement, which is, I've quoted this because this is a good point. Don't forget this when you're talking to your unsaved relatives and family and neighbors and co-workers. He said, it is all too easy for Christians to take the view that unbelievers are not only wrong, but they're stupid. That the arguments all flow one way. That apologetics, and remember that's not apologizing for the faith, that's defending the faith. That apologetics, properly done, will sweep all before it. And there's some people that live that way. If you and I can just present the facts beautifully, if, we, if you and I would be more gifted in debating, we'd win, we'd go into the auditorium of 3,000 people, skeptics and atheists, and they'd all get saved, just like the day of Pentecost. And then he points this out. He says, that's nonsense, because if that, hap- if that was ever going to happen, the two greatest debaters of all time, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, would have won everyone during their first, during their initial, you know, all the times they preached. Did they? No, they did not. So he said this, the unbeliever can make a good case. He can argue back, probe the logic of belief, raise the hard questions like Job did long, long ago. 
And then he said later in the article, and this you and I, now this was 2008, so many years ago, he said the assumptions of our once Christian culture have begun to shift. Time was when it was hard to be an atheist as the Christian mind was embedded in the culture, and that's true. Now it is the believer who finds it hard to get a hearing and harder still to make our case. That's true, isn't it? So here you've got these disciples who were blindsided and were not anticipating, whereas the religious leaders, the people that wouldn't believe in Jesus, they, had, they, they were already anticipating it. So let's, let's turn now to Matthew chapter 28. And by the way, that, the text we looked at earlier um, in John chapter 20, not 21, later on, verses 24 and following, gives you the account of Thomas. Remember, he was one of the disciples. Otherwise known as, what Thomas? Doubting, Doubting Thomas, right? So now, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Beginning in verse 1, the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary of the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, I think this is what Jason was reading or referring to this morning. Was this Jason? Yeah, okay. Um, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And so here he tells them uh, what's happening. And uh, it is interesting that there were people, despite the evidence, that would not believe. You know, in fact, um, let's go on a little more here. Verse 11, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. That's the, the soldiers that were keeping guard over the tomb. The ones that were fearful when Jesus when, the, when they saw the resurrection. Uh, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. This is, this is part of the many infallible proofs, folks, that he was seen. Uh, you know, here's, the, here's part of the irrefutable evidence presented to the chief priests. And they all got saved, right? No. Verse 12. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers saying, verse 13, Say ye, his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. Now here's an amazing thing. Here are these hardened military soldiers that were guarding the tomb and they are presenting a story that nobody came, folks, and rolled the... This was not a theft by the disciples. He's gone. And they had to bribe the disciples. So instead of these religious leaders going, What? He really did rise 
from the dead. I mean, can you imagine if they just let that truth sink in? That wasn't even on their radar. They just immediately began to conspire. We got to put a lid on this. So they paid off these, these guards. And then in verse 14, if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So this, uh, Matthew wrote his gospel here about 30 years after this event. And so when he sits down to write the gospel, they are still, that's still the common story. So you have the evidence. He really was buried, and he really rose from the dead. And yet, this story got wind because, folks, there's people that just don't want to believe the evidence. And so they, like the religious leaders, they they saw it irrefutable evidence that he rose from the dead and they're just spending their time covering it. What an amazing thing. They're more concerned about believing, people believing Jesus than the fact that it really happened. In fact, I love, there's another story similar to this. When Jesus healed the blind man, remember that Jesus, there was a blind man born, born blind from his birth and Jesus healed him and that created a ruckus among these religious leaders and, uh, and they just, they had to squelch the story. And, and so first they went to this man, and then they went to find his parents. And uh, in fact, at that point, if you claim to believe in Jesus, you're put out of the synagogues. And then they finally come back to the man, because they, you know, they just couldn't believe. I mean, here's irrefutable evidence. This man that everybody knew was born blind and was blind can now see. And now these religious leaders are putting the pressure on him to deny what happened. And then he said this, and I love this. So he said, um, Wherein herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Because they refused to acknowledge who he was. That's why he says, here's a marvelous thing, that you, 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 you won't even acknowledge where, where he comes from or who he is, and yet... He's opened my eyes, there's no doubt. Same thing with the resurrection. They're not interested in the evidence. They're not interested that Jesus lives again. They're so narrow-minded that they're just trying to cover a story. And by cover, I mean squelch it. So that first couple decades, that story about the stolen body had a lot of traction. But over the years, there's still been... Because that's the bottom line, folks. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're done. Christianity is a hoax. We have no message. Really. And the So people, we've already, in fact, did a um, series on roadblocks. You may remember that. How many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people over the years have set out to disprove Christianity. And they always have to go back to the resurrection. And multitudes, when they're honest with the facts, the irrefutable evidence, they'll believe. But not everybody. There's a lot of people that simply, like many of the ones we mentioned, who they start out setting to disprove Christianity, 
And then when they're faced with the irrefutable evidence, many of them believe. But over the years, folks, many of them have not believed. And so there's been, it seems like every decade or every century, there's more theories that come up to explain away the resurrection. Here's some of the popular ones. Again, the first couple decades was the theft theory. Someone stole his body. Number the, the, Another one, the one that came out actually um, 400 years ago was when this one came out. So it was a new one at the time called the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. He just swooned. I mean, the, you know, the cross was so, so hard against him that he just, he, he literally swooned, he passed out, and everyone thought he was dead. That's kind of crazy, is it not? In fact, the Romans' guards, these trained guards, who would normally, I mean, they had crucified so many people, and they would break their legs, if you remember, just to make sure they were dead. But these Roman guards were so convinced that he was already dead, they didn't even break his legs. And so to say that he just swooned, and, and you're talking dozens, hundreds of people that were crucified in this manner, and soldiers that knew, and, and he, just, he just fainted and they didn't know it. Then there's the no burial theory, which contends that there was really no interment. Jesus was never placed in the tomb. Instead, his body ended up in a mass grave for all the criminals. Which is amazing, because why would they seal the tomb if there was no burial? Then there's another one called the hallucination theory. And that is that... Um, Everyone who claimed to see the risen Lord was simply hallucinating. Because of their, in fact, here's how one person said it, they were induced by an ardent, ardent expectation of his resurrection. They were so hyped up and they got themselves so worked up to believe that he was going to rise from the dead that they hallucinated it. Now, do you remember what I said a few minutes ago? What do you mean Expectation. That's the last thing they were expecting. They weren't hyped up by expectation. They were blindsided. They were not expecting it. The, the Pharisees and the scribes were expecting it more than his followers. You can't say that. Then there's the tele- telepathy theory. There was no physical resurrection. God sent divine telepathic messages to Christians to believe that Jesus was alive. Which makes God a liar, a deceiver, and he also isn't very good because not everybody was convinced that saw him that that was really Jesus. Then there's the seance theory, there's the mistaken idea, there's all kinds of crazy things. And folks, to be honest, people just don't want to believe. And if you don't want to believe, fine. There's an interesting story that came out, early Protestant missionary uh, an early Protestant missionary to the Ryukyu Islands. Uh, if you've ever heard of that, the Ryukyu Islands were in the Western Pacific. They discovered a strange mass grave when they went there. And the grave marker uh, revealed, or the, yeah, the grave marker revealed that more than 11,000 heads, so there's 11,000 people buried in one spot, and then Their heads are buried way in a different place, 11,000. So upon studying this, they investigated and found that in 1637, 
the Japanese government, which had control of the Ryukyu Islands, ordered all Christians in the empire to be exterminated. But they knew that Christians believed in a resurrection. And so their heads were buried in a different place because of their belief that this would prevent the re- their resurrection. Now, it's interesting. If you're part of the Japanese government, you don't believe there's a resurrection, right? Then why, if you kill 11,000 people, why do you have to go to this extra level to take all their heads away? Because you don't believe in the resurrection, right? I don't think they, I think in their mind, folks, obviously, they're like, okay, I know that these people believe there's a resurrection. And they have to be saying, just in case, let's separate their heads from the body. Because somehow they thought that was going to prevent them from being resurrected. Which is an amazing thing. Because if you don't think they're going to be resurrected, why do you need to prevent them from being resurrected? It's crazy, is it not? Could it be? That there is deep within the heart of the strongest skeptic a realization that Christianity is true. Last point. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. So the first we saw those who were willing to believe, the disciples. Then we saw those who were unwilling to believe. And then we see the evidence that both had. Actually, let me just read to you. Um, Matthew 27 is just actually when it, we would have been looking at this this past week when we were focusing on the crucifixion, and we see that uh, you remember on Wednesday we talked we saw the before Pilate and the stirring up of the crowd because he he initially is like, well, I see no fault in this man. Why should I have him crucified? I'm going to release him to you. And he got and the religious leaders got all the people worked up. So that they shouted in Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five, uh, or earlier, they said, "Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar." And then he answered, or, or they answered, then because they knew this, you know, Pilate was he was going to wash his hands from it, and so the people said, "His blood be on us and on our children." They were willing. Now you got the same crowd. Days later, sometime later, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching to them. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus. He says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Wow. So the very crowd who was screaming, crucify him. Peter's now preaching and saying, and laying out the picture, you have crucified him. What was their response? Verse 37 says in Acts chapter 2, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted. Remember convinced? And they said unto Peter and and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Wow, can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine remembering in your mind just a short time earlier where you got caught up in the frenzy and you said, crucify him. And then you realize later, especially to be accused, you were part of that. Wow. Now these are folks, these are people that were presented with irrefutable evidence enough that they realized their own culpability and thankfully many of them got saved. But you know what? There's still multitudes of people, just like in Bible times, when the gospel first went out, it says, many believed and others. Same, it's, it's not going to change, folks. You can be the best evangelist. You can word things more beautiful than anyone has ever worded things. You can use the perfect verse for every argument. By the way, I don't know who determines that. You know, whether this verse is better than that verse. But if you could, you will not win all. Because there will be some who will refuse no matter how much evidence is there. And folks, today, what you and I celebrate, the resurrection, today, is that proof. There's a story, I'll close with this, of a a famous artist from France. His name was Gustave Dore, or Doré. He was kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He was an incredible painter. He illustrated children's he was a satirist. A satirist, is that it? He, uh, and one of the things he was known most for was his wood engravings. And he did wood engravings for children's stories. He did them for classics like um, Milton, uh, Milton and, and like hundreds of Bible stories. So well known. And he was traveling in Europe. He, he lived in the 1800s and died in the 1800s. He's traveling in Europe and he lost his passport. And so when he goes to the customs and he was, by then he was very well, everybody knew, or a lot of people knew him. And because he forgot his passport, he thought he would rely upon his name. And so he told the, the people at customs who he was and, would they, and, and he explained that he lost his passport. And one of the men at customs said, sir, do you know how many people we get coming through here that claim to be someone famous? just so we let them through. And he tried up and down to, to convince them, no, I really am Gustav Dior or Dore. And so one of the men finally said, okay, you know what? Get a piece of paper, get a pencil. You show me. See those people over there? Draw them. Now, if that was me, like, and I was trying to be this famous guy, the, I mean, they, my stick people would never pass, obviously. So he quickly started to draw like only a talented artist could do. And what, what he put down in those few minutes, that his work convinced them of his words. They looked at it and they're like, okay, you're him. Go through, sir. Now listen, his work confirmed His word. Jesus Christ, when he came forth from the grave, his work confirmed his work. Irrefutable evidence. Now I submit to you, 
that there are people, folks, that are presented with, they're convinced against their will, but they've not believed. In fact, listen to this in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32. It says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So they didn't, they didn't embrace it. They didn't reject it right away. They said, you know, we'll think this through. And in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, it says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment, it's Paul preaching to Felix, it says, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. We never know what happened to these people that said, I'll get back to you on that. We do know what happened to King Agrippa. Remember in Acts chapter 26, Paul's preaching the gospel to King Agrippa. And he says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. But folks, I submit to you that no decision is still a decision. How many people have not, in their mind, outright rejected Christianity. But they haven't been fully convinced. They haven't embraced it. They're, you know what, I'll think about this. Which is fine if you really will think about it. But please understand, the implications are so great that to simply put a pin in it and come back to it later... Wonder how many people, wonder how many in this group that I just read, wonder how many of them put a pin in it, intending to consider it through further, and then they died. Too late. That's why the Bible says, Behold, now is today is the day of salvation. Folks, today's Easter, Resurrection Sunday. This is the time to come face to face with the irrefutable evidence. That Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, especially for those listening, and I know that I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to reach into people's homes and private lives in their own safe haven, as it were, and challenge them with truths that many of us have known for decades. Father, there may be some folks that haven't written off Christianity, some maybe have never considered it. But Lord, they've not embraced the Savior as their own. They've not repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their, their attitude is, uh, we'll think about it and get back to you about it. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon hearts and minds the importance of wrestling through the claims of Jesus Christ and, and coming to the conclusion that He lives, that He did die for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day. And Father, I pray that You would allow these truths to penetrate hearts so that folks believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, folks repent of their sins and take Christ as their Savior their once-for-all Savior, they get saved biblically and have their names written in the book of life. Father, we ask you to do a work in hearts. 
We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all...